Welcome to this MTech Access podcast. At MTech Access, we offer a complete global market access service from strategy through to implementation. In the UK, all our work is underpinned by authentic NHS insights. Our in-house experts work closely with a national network of associates who occupy strategic, operational and clinical roles within the NHS. Leaders in their field, their knowledge and experience helps MTech Access to be as close to the front line of care delivery as possible. To support our clients through the COVID-19 crisis and beyond, we launched this webinar series. Each week, we bring together two experts from the NHS to briefly present what is going on in their part of the health service. We have now converted this series into a podcast, so you can listen in as and when you like. Please subscribe to the podcast or follow our LinkedIn company page for more information. Good afternoon. It's it's two o'clock on Friday afternoon, which means it's it's time for the next instalment of our COVID nineteen update webinars. Thank you very much for attending. Every week our, our our following is growing, so we really appreciate you tuning in uh, to listen to to what we're saying. Um, for those that don't yet know me, I'm Tom Clark. I'm a, a director at MTech Access, and I am here in a facilitating function really to bring you experts from the NHS to give you a, a view on what's really going on um, outside of the headlines that you might see in the news um, and this week we are looking at finance and commissioning in the NHS so really what's changed. We've got two Pats today, we've got Pat Wheeler-Moss who is the Head of Organisational Development at Brent CCG and Patrick McGinley who is the Head of Costings and Service Line Reporting at, at Maidstone and Tunbridge Wells Foundation Trust. So um, I'm not going to talk much longer because they're the experts. Um, we're going to get a really good insight into to everything that's changed and also having a look into the future. So um, without further ado, um, I'm going to come to you first, Pat, today. Um, in your role within the CCG, obviously huge amounts have been going on and there were lots of plans around mergers and things for this year. So um, just interested really on what you've seen change within the world of the CCG over the last few weeks? Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, well, it's completely changed in the world of CCGs. Um, all the things that we were doing before, which was talking about the merger of the eight CCGs across northwest London, talking about QIP and how we can um, save money and how we can introduce new services to save money in the longer term, and all of those sorts of discussions we were having, and they were priorities have just gone into the background and onto the back burner. Um, what we talk about now obviously is COVID-19. We um, put gold command um, arrangements in place early on in all of this with a focus on ITU capacity, PPE, community capacity care homes and primary care response and those are the focus really of um, our discussions at the CCG now. If you don't, I'm sure everybody knows what Gold Command is but it's a structure which is used for major operations such as um, a pandemic um, and that's the sort of structure and model we've put in place to deal with this across northwest London. So um, we focus on everything to do with COVID-19. We collect daily um, situation reports and we talk about those. So we're looking at different metrics such as the calls to 111, calls to and attendances to our hot hubs, uh, the number of staff that are off sick, um, the contacts and so on, both COVID and non-COVID in primary care. 
and we're constantly checking um, to see that the capacity that we've got in the system is sufficient for the expected demand. Um, just out of interest, since the 9th of April, we've seen a steady reduction in the number of COVID patients in hospital and indicators suggest that the ITU demand is also plateauing, but bearing in mind that in London, we're a bit ahead of the curve. So that's what you would expect at the moment. Um, in terms of the way we deal with meetings now, obviously most people are working from home. That's working really well. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, we'll look at how we're going to keep some of that going forward. Um, governing bodies across um, Northwest London have delegated, um, have given delegated authority for COVID expenditure decisions to the accountable officer and chief finance officer. So that's um, quite a new, a new thing that's happened. Um, we're also looking at um, the activity in A&E and a lot of the activity in A&E has gone down. Um, we are, we've got quite a lot of capacity in across the board um, in London um, and it's quite interesting to see the change of behaviour I think of patients because um, you know on one hand it's it's a good thing because maybe people are you know going to be a bit more educated on using the different parts of the health system and um in a more efficient way in a more effective way but on the other hand we worry about all those people that aren't coming because um, we know, for instance, that around 80% of, um, well, we're, we're down by about 80% on two-week wait referrals from this time last year. So we know that there's um, that there are going to be people in that haven't come into the system yet that will come in at some point. So we're having to try and think ahead now and look at what have we got to do um, in sort of the recovery phase to make sure we've got the capacity then to deal with the backlog. And something that um, we're looking, well, it's across the board really, is our relationship with the private sector. Um, that's basically changed before our eyes after just a few weeks. I think we're, we're doing a lot of work with the private sector, using them for non-COVID um, patients as a sort of clean space so that we know the urgent um, activity that we need to deal with, we can, we've got capacity now in the private sector. Um, so it's really an opportunity as well to have a new approach, I think, um, with the private sector, because we'll need help, as I say, in the future when we're dealing with that backlog, and I'm sure we'll be calling on them then as well. Um, we're also doing a lot with staff because um, we've got a big BAME um, proportion of staff in um, London, so we're mindful that they are really in um, a sort of a priority category. So we're looking at the well-being of our staff and there's a lot of initiatives going on at the moment to make sure there's psychological help and um, backup for those people if they need it. Um, at the same time, we've got all our staff vacancies are, are frozen at the moment. We don't see that changing um, anytime soon. So um, all in all, um, life has changed completely. Having said that, we've just started now, it's just really um, as of today, looking at reintroducing some of the old business as usual stuff and trying to think about, you know, once we come through some of this, how do we pick those things up? So one of the things I was working on was the restructure of the eight CCGs across Northwest London. Um, we know that um, that we think will still 
at the moment be able to go live next April and we're hoping um, although the milestones obviously have been pushed back a bit but also we're, we're going to look at the model again because some of the learning that we'll have now from the much more integrated way we've had to work anyway through COVID which you know is is a good test really and I think we can um, introduce some of that into the new model um, because we've already done it and um, you know it's a, a lot of things that we've um, done really quickly which normally takes um, you know months and years in the NHS we don't want to lose that when we come out of all of this so I'm hoping you know and I think everyone's hoping that there'll be you know the technology bit and we won't have to maybe meet face-to-face um, -face as much and go running into central London for meetings when we can just literally do similar thing to what we're doing now would be great um, and also cutting down on the number of meetings we're talking about that we have our governing body meets every um two to three months at the moment um, we're looking at just having that twice a year and changing terms of reference for other groups so that they take on and make sure that we cover all the requirements um, that we have as a in terms of our constitution but at the same time we don't need to have all those meetings we've proved that really um, in the last few weeks because what we have now is quick meetings we get to the actions we talk about right we're going to do this 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 and then we go and do it um, do, whereas do, we, do you think that do you think that's like to improve the speed of decision making overall then I hope so yeah I think I think it could um, as long as um, the will is there um, on the top leadership for that to happen because you know some of the governance. I mean, you know some of the governance um, processes we have, and we have to take a paper. Um, it can take months because if you've got to get it through to the governing body, and before that, you've got to go to clinical directors meetings. You've got to go to, um, you know, you might have to go out to the membership in CCG. Then you might have to go to the exec, and then eventually go to the governing body. By then, it could be six months. You know, and and then they might want a revision. So you have to go yeah. back all the way through it again. And you know if we can find a better way we've done it you know we've just proved that we can do it so you know let's hope that we don't just um throw it all away at the end because that would be you know we've got a legacy that we could carry on really out of a bad situation yeah um, absolutely yeah that's yeah, brilliant. Like thank, thank you very much Pat. that's really good insight into huge amounts of change in, in a very short period short period of time so patrick now just turning to you uh, obviously Pat's given us kind of the uh, the overall commissioning landscape, but thinking about the finance, the NHS finances um, more specifically, what have the big changes been around that area during the pandemic? Um, I think uh, that in many ways they reflect all of that really significant change that Pat's been talking about. You know, clearly the the first one was that you know nationally we've removed payment by results as a system for reimbursement between. Uh, commissioners and providers and we've replaced that with a block contract and we've put in place in exactly the same way as Pat was saying uh, about completely new structures we've put in place new ways of doing it uh, we got a payment on the 1st of April a payment on the 15th of April we have the planned payments through to the middle of June to pay for up to four months block contract so um, where Pat was talking about quip and you know how can we exploit the providers and take the money away from them you know they're only treating patients we're seeing the other side of it now of we're awash with cash for basically doing uh, next to bugger all in activity terms 
you know, we are just looking at COVID. We have top-up payments coming through centrally for the additional COVID costs. So the block contracts are really for <gasps> business as usual without any business as usual. Mm. Now, I apologize in advance for this, but only an accountant could highlight how interesting the timing of this was because it's spread over two financial years. Uh, we have made a surplus uh, at the end of um, uh, March uh, 2020. Um, final accounts deadlines have been pushed back three weeks. Um, so although we know the surplus, we haven't had it audited yet, we can't declare it, all of those processes get put back. Uh, we are awash with cash in April in a way that we never usually are. We usually go uh, to our big local commissioners and go, could you give us a double block and then we'll taper it off for the rest of the year. We've got more money than that. Uh, we do have a lot of capital to, to pay out. Um, we do have a prescription that we should be paying uh, all suppliers within seven days. Now, right. you know, many of us have juggled our whole careers between right uh 30 days well 30 days from when uh, and now it's seven days you know we are paying agency invoices on a daily basis that transfer of cash around the system is absolutely amazing to behold because we are very much used to the system that pat was describing about right we need to make a decision somebody write a paper take it to tme get it revised take it back to clinical directors get it revised, take it back to board, uh, and then set the thing in motion. You know, we spent two and a half million pounds on ventilators in three days. And we've paid the invoices. And we didn't use them all. Uh, and that's all tremendous. Um, and while I, I really, really echo Pat's hopes that some of the good points come out of this, that actually we've proved we can do things in a hurry that it is a process that we have deliberately put in place that has slowed things down. You know, uh, accountants over the country are breaking their hearts because we put them in to slow down payments so that we could review decisions, so that we could just double check that when we said, if we open up this clinic, thousands will come and they'll all be paid for, what we really meant was two dozen will come and we didn't agree with the commissioners and now they won't pay because we didn't talk to them. Uh, and I think there are different relationships. We're slightly different um, uh, locally in that we did merge nine CCGs on the 1st of April, um, uh, which has made the block contract payments massively fun. Because everybody's going, "Who? we know we have to pay you, but which of us is paying you? And we weren't expecting it to be this process. And, you know, we've been told to give you another 36 million pounds. Fantastic. Um, Tom will know from speaking to me over the last couple of weeks, I've been slightly cynical because our uh, first submission for additional COVID funding, um, in a shock development, we only received 60% of the money that we'd already spent. And a number of us went, oh yes, same old NHS E&I, we'll pay everything, the Treasury has said everything will be reimbursed, and it didn't happen. On the 17th of April, it was all topped up to our original bid not seen that before. Uh, we still have a process where we have to uh, look for additional top-up payments and they will be interrogated by the regulator. They do need to be reasonable. We don't know who judges whether it's reasonable, but so far it has all been paid for. 
Again, not something that I'm used to. I think the challenge from a financial perspective is that uh, we know from uh, Julian Kelly, the NHS uh, E uh, CFO, his central message is we will pay everything now, but we can't lose financial grip. We have seen the evidence of the first statement. They have paid uh, the monies that we've asked for. So I think that reinforce, reinforces the credibility of the we need to maintain financial grip. And this is where I think uh, Pat's challenge of, you know, we, we are seeing the same thing locally as, uh, as Brent are seeing, uh, reduction in A&E attendances, uh, reduction in uh, CPOD work that, you know, we, we should be seeing, you know, patients are not appearing with strokes. This can't be right. Mm. Patients aren't coming for a two-week cancer referral, you know. That may be a choice, but I can't see anyone deliberately choosing not to go to A&E or ring 999 with a stroke, but it is happening. Mm. Now that will come as a tsunami of activity in some form. So so, now, so think about your, your financial element there that you're saying at the moment, you're, you, you've got money in the bank as it were. Are yes. you kind of saving that up in anticipation of a wave of activity later in the year or early next year we we would really like to uh, you know we uh, for the first time in uh, i was going to say months but years we were discussing earlier this week could we be investing some of this money in order to earn some interest to you know keep it back and you know the nhs has a well proven history of investing wisely with um, icelandic banks and uh, the the like um but we are under an imperative to pay invoices really, really quickly. And we are starting to say, what does that actually mean for our cash flow in the next three to four weeks? Uh, you know, we've received two big block payments and a top up. And our next block is the 15th of May. And then it takes us through to um, uh, the beginning of June. So how much control have we actually got over things like agency payments, over capital payments? And does the fact that the chief financial officer for NHS England is saying we must re-establish grip actually mean we'll have to find us some way of rationing the elective work when it comes back, that we will have to find a way of making all those difficult choices between the cancer two-week wait and re-establishing glaucoma services. And that the impression is it's being left to commissioners and providers to, to work within it you know we're proving at the moment you can run a hospital as long as you don't do any elective work but you get paid for it in a shock financial <laughs> development our real challenge is what happens when we decide it is safe to re-establish elective work yeah and exactly the same way as uh, uh, Pat was saying you know we're dealing directly with um, the independent sector over non-elective capacity what makes elective work safe to undertake again? Where can we do it? Who will do it? Um, you know, we've got slightly used to orthopedic surgeons and gynecologists intubating patients on ITU overflows. What happens when I need the orthopedic surgeon to be back in an orthopedic theatre? Mm. And and I, and I guess in the in the future environment, whenever that might be there's been a huge amount of expenditure which can't carry on so there will be at some point Absolutely. a constraint so so thinking around the future of 
the financial situation. What do you think that means for care delivery in the longer term? I think there will be um, a, a huge desire to ramp up elective work again, that orthopaedic surgeons, general surgeons, gynecologists, urologists will all want to work again doing what they're paid for. But I actually think there will be a, a, a real clash between uh, finance and clinical colleagues when we go, actually, we can't afford to do it as quickly as you think we need to. And you may well be right that we do need to do this. But to be within the envelope, our real unknown is what is the financial envelope that we are expecting to get gripped within? You know, we're happy to live within a block contract payment when we're doing nothing like the activity that we should be. When that ramps up, how do we look at what is the variable cost of surgical activity? What does that change? And what envelope are we living within? Is it the 2021 plan plus X billion for COVID? Or is it 2021 plan plus X billion for COVID less what you've already saved on elective activity? And that's the unknown question for us. What's the envelope that we will have to come back and live within? Because that will define how quickly we can pick up services and how far, you know, Will we re-establish 18 weeks or will the first step be RTT at 42 weeks? Mm. Do, do you think we, we're slightly accelerated towards having integrated budgets across systems? I think so. Uh, I'd, I'd be really interested to, to hear what uh, Pat says on that, but I think so. I think the last two months have been all about ripping up the old relationships, get, establishing block contract as a way of funding things in the short term. And I think the next logical step is then how do you transfer that to an integrated care system and say, actually, how do we just move the right money to the right place within this circumscribed area, service, uh, location or whatever? Uh, and I think it does allow that. My worry would be how much flexibility do we have in where we set up the elective surgery? You know, do we say, actually we'll take the whole care system on now we've re-established huge capacity in itu overnight is this the time to rationalize where we do orthopedics where we do gynae surgery where we provide stroke services you know we've made huge changes in an incredibly short period of time do we just carry on making those changes because we can yeah Fantastic. Thanks, Patrick. And and you've segued nicely for me there into Pat, I think. So a couple of really, really important things that came out there is kind of the the tension between, you know, going forwards, cost effectiveness and clinical effectiveness, yeah. you know, for want of a better phrase, possibly. And um, and then the piece around integration, everything coming together. So I suppose kind of bearing those in mind and obviously everything else that's going on for you, Pat, what, how do you expect COVID to change the commissioning landscape? Yeah. Um... Well, you know, we've been talking about whole systems, integrated care, we've been, you know, for years, um, and we've been trying to get that sort of model going for years. Um, more recently, we're talking about integrated um, care partnerships and integrated care system across the whole of the health service and the social care. Well, this if this isn't the opportunity to do it, I don't know 
when it will be. So I think we have a chance now. Um, and I've always seen when I've looked because I'm a real, um, you know, believer in integrated care. I really want it to to happen, and I'm, you know, I've worked a lot on it over the years, and I can see that we need to do it. But un unless we all do it, you know, we're never going to yeah. be able to create that, you know, ideal model. Um, so. It, and it always seems to come down, well, there's a, a number of things, but it's structure, mostly structural, I think, what it comes down to. There is a bit about the will of the people, but I think you get those people on board. But it's about the budgets. And, you know, I've sat in meetings with the local authority, you know, and the CCG, where we've wrangled over, over money. Um, and it's like we don't even talk about the patients and the patient experience in all of that. We just lose sight of it. So let's you know let's use this opportunity um to make this happen now we're already doing it you know we're actually doing, because a lot of those barriers and those um issues have been sort of put to one side for now because we need to get on with what we're doing um let's you know continue that and build our relationships because um this is probably um, one of the best prizes maybe to come out of this pandemic will be a unified voice. And if we can have that, then it's going to be so much better for patients. Because I've often thought about, the, you know, how the NHS evolved over the years. And you'd never set it up how it is. You know, you'd, you'd never say to yourself, oh, let's start up a health system. I know, follow that model. You just wouldn't, would you? <laughs> uh, it makes absolutely no sense. I mean, it's all come out recently, hasn't it, about social care and about the fact that, you know, it's great that we clap the NHS on a Thursday night. But we didn't clap, you know, we didn't specify that was for the carers and the social um, side of it. And we need to give parity, you know, to that side of things as well. And to know that we need each other for things to work. Because a lot of, you know, we recently moved into the um, civic, Brent Civic Centre. So we work alongside our local authority um, colleagues now. And, you know, we know how much health is intertwined with all the social aspects you know the housing benefits um, you know deprivation all of that stuff and we need to get together so, so that we can you know share information share you know records all of that sort of thing and work in a much more integrated way so you can see I'm a fan of integration so I'm going to be really sort of trying to hold on to that and hope that we can um, you know continue that going into the future the other thing as well is the digital technology part of it i think you know we um the nhs has always been quite slow to adopt you know we we didn't want we always wanted to have face-to-face -face meetings no matter what you know because we all sort of like to be cuddly and eat biscuits and things um but you know you can eat biscuits on your own you know I've, I've found <laughs> out that's Do really that. sad that is really sad <laughs> <laughs> you can, well you can have the favorite ones can't you then to yourself you don't have to share them um <laughs> And so we really do need to look at the way we do all of these meetings because I've travelled to London. Yeah. I, you know, I live in the northeast. Before now, I've travelled three hours on the train to London to go to a meeting to sit there for one hour, maybe an hour and a half, to travel all the way back on the train, um, all the way back. When I could have done that from my own front room easily without moving. Um, so there's all those things that we need to do. Um, we've got some issues because obviously we do have to have meetings in public. So we're going to have to look at how we're going to manage those with the you know, social distancing and all of that sort of thing, but we can do that. So we're really looking at a sort of new normal, I think, with the cycle of meetings that we have. And I hope that we can do that because I've, I've, I've sort of talked about that um, where I'm working at CCG for a long time saying we have too many meetings and we don't talk about 
about the actions and quite often we don't we come out we have loads of minutes but no actions you know yeah. so well what was the point of that you know um, let's yeah. let's just really think more commercially about the way that we do things like that and do, do equally, you think do, oh sorry carry pat you carry on um i was just i was just going to ask if if you think that this has all had a positive impact on relationships within the system so talking about integration and those sorts of things yeah i think it has because um we've because we've had to do things i think some of the problems we've had and you know everyone knows we have the politics um in the nhs and i think even more so sometimes in the um local authority so we have to balance all of that but because um, and we have really good working relationships um in northwest london i've got to say anyway but we're sort of constrained by those um rigid structures that are in place and and sometimes then we're at loggerheads because you know obviously you've got to answer you know to to the um you know the higher um echelons and they've got to answer to the higher even if they are the higher echelons you know so in the end um sometimes we just go on for months you know and don't get somewhere on something that could when you're sitting there as an out of it as a normal person you think well for goodness sake you know you could just get that done it's no big deal just do it um so i think now that we have just done it in some ways um with things mm. then i hope that we'll be able to understand each other a bit more and yeah, brilliant so, thank you yeah, so um, we, we just just got a couple of minutes left. Sorry to cut you off there, Pat, sorry. but I suppose Patrick would be interesting just to get your perspective on that. But as well around sort of relationships and trust with colleagues within the system, how how do you feel that's been impacted? Um, I I think uh, some of it is unknown. Um, uh, as an accountant, clearly I'm not one of life's optimists because you know you wouldn't be in this career if you were. Um, and and maybe there will be that huge step forward i think uh, that the point made about uh, the use of technology you know um uh, we're doing things now that we wouldn't have dreamed of a month ago fabulous you know we we bought uh, and this i worry comes back to bite us but in typical nhs fashion you know having never bought more than 100 laptops a year we bought 900 three weeks ago uh, they haven't yet been delivered so there's a typical nhs story there but you know, actually, have we bought something that we didn't need to? Do, do you know? Uh, I haven't got a trust laptop. I use my own one. Uh, actually, everybody's got their own laptop at home. Couldn't we do it that way? You know, so we've found a solution, but is it necessarily the best one? Uh, and again, my worry would be about the relationships. Is we've had a s single sole focus. You know, we had to re-establish capacity. We had to change nursing practice. We had to change clinical practice, and we did that. But what happens when we start saying, yes, we've plateaued COVID. We haven't yet got a vaccine, but we're moving towards whatever we move to. And at that point, we then give power back to surgeons, physicians who have got different criteria different agenda items you know when we're all doing the same thing for brilliant reasons that's easy to get the relationships lined up at the point that we start then making additional demands or choices that i think becomes a test and that that i think is not helped by the likely financial settlement which will be actually all of pat's sensible ideas are brilliant but we can't actually afford that. Yeah, and what brilliant. we can afford is not sensible. 
Yeah, thank you very much. I'm going to have to stop you there because we've just ticked over past half past two. So thank you both very much um, for, for your insight. They're mm -hmm. hugely valuable as ever. Um, I hope that everyone's enjoyed listening to Pat and Patrick. Um, we are coming back next week. We are looking at pharmacy and medicines management next week. Um, two o'clock on Friday the 1st of May. The following week we're moving to Thursday because the bank holidays are Friday on the 8th of May. Um, so yes, thanks again for listening and hopefully you'll tune in next time for our, our next installment. Bye. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please do subscribe for future episodes. If you'd like to find out more about our work with the NHS or how we can support your market access strategy, please email info at mtechaccess.co.uk.